0: Human and non-human animal oppression is the same. The way we oppress other people is the same exact excuse that we use. We focus on our differences. We say you're white and brown, and because of our color, therefore that's justified to oppress me. But we know that this is just ridiculous because we know that the only really relevant question is that if you oppress me, I suffer. If you stab me, it'll hurt. So just apply the same thing to other animals. People say that vegans think that a human is identical to a cow or or to to a pig. That's not what we are saying. We are saying we are different, but in the only way that it matters, we are identical. And that's our capacity to feel pain and suffering.
1: Okay, amazing. Amazing. What the hell is up? We are back at it again with another episode of Jamie's Corner. And today, I have for you Dr. Harsini and Darius. Hello, guys. Thank you so much for coming on.
0: Thank you. Uh, Pleasure to be here. You can call me Faraz.
1: Faraz. Faraz it is, you guys. Today, we are going to talk about everything from science, the correlation of science and veganism. We're going to talk about relationships, dating non-vegans. We're really going to get into it. So, without further ado, I present to you Dr. Faraz Harsini. He is a <laughs> cell physiology molecular biochemist. Biophysics. Biophysics.
0: So basically that's uh, studying uh, proteins and how they're involved in diseases and uh, human health. So basically, yeah, I uh, did my master's on cancer research and then I was fascinated with proteins because if you understand how proteins function, then you can understand how diseases form and how to cure them.
1: And so is there any protein in a vegan diet?
0: Uh, I mean, uh, when I talk to people, it sounds like plants don't have Proteins. It sounds like plants have feelings, <laughs> but no proteins. But yeah, that's, that's my favorite question because I say, you know, uh, it just happened that I have a PhD in uh, protein science. So uh, yeah, of course, plants have proteins and you get all the proteins you want from plants. Uh, it's actually where it's originated anyways. But yeah, it's unfortunately one, one of the biggest myths.
1: It is so, it, I mean, it's the bro science. It's so ridiculous. It's like the meat, dairy, and egg industry has just put out billions of dollars to trick everybody into somehow thinking that there's no protein in, in plants and also that you need meat to build muscle. It really makes no sense. So we can get into that and break that down. But before we do, why don't you introduce yourself, Darius? What's up?
2: What's up? Uh, I'm a new vegan. So I know Faraz has been a vegan for over a decade. You've been at it for a long time. For me, it's just three years ago. And I watched the documentary, Dominion. And if you haven't watched it, I encourage you to watch it. And uh, that did it for me. I decided I didn't want to abuse animals anymore. And uh, it's kind of weird it took me so long because growing up, I actually volunteered with an animal welfare group. And we would go out and save dogs and cats. And then I would come back and eat ham and all the other meat stuff. And there was a guy who was vegan and he said, you know, isn't it strange that you're going out and helping these dogs and cats and you're coming home and uh, harming them? And I thought it was a nut, but I still said, okay, I'll try it. It kind of made sense. But I couldn't go more than three days without just like wanting to shove ham back in my mouth. And yeah, it was an addiction for me. And I didn't really acknowledge it as an addiction. I would make a lot of fun of people who were vegan and vegetarian. When I was in school, I was a little mischievous. so. I took a chicken leg
1: and oh, I ran God. after
2: someone who was vegetarian until he cried.
1: You did not. Out you go. Out yeah. you go. You're being punished. What? Isn't it amazing the defense mechanisms yeah. that we have as people and some of the really nasty, mean comments that you get from yeah. people that eat animals? It's. It, why do you think that is? What was, what was going through your head at the time?
2: I don't think I really thought about it that deeply. It was just that My friends did it, my parents did it, it tasted good, and uh, I would say I just, I didn't look for any disconfirming evidence. I just looked for evidence that supported my point of view, that there's no point being vegetarian. Vegetarians are skinny and weak. Everything that I could use to buttress my viewpoint is what I took in, and I used that as my arguments. And I've pretty much used every argument. Maybe not plants have feelings that much, but. I would say it's unnatural. We're not meant to do it. It's just silly. What's the point? We're all going to die. Uh, go down the list. So I've done it all. and uh
0: I really think this comes from uh, a heavy bias, because we already grow up eating animal products, and we like the taste. So we just try to come up with any excuse. Yeah. A, a hypothetical that I generally like, uh, propose is, imagine you actually hated the taste of animal products. You're absolutely hated it. You just would you just shove animal products in your mouth just because like you think like uh, you're worried about crop deaths or you're just worried about like, you know, proteins or whatever. When you think about it, like everyone does it because eventually they just enjoy it and it's convenient and they just don't want to deal with going vegan. So it's just the convenience and it's it's the taste but don't tell me that you're like you are eating animals because you're just worried about animals who are dying in like uh during harvesting season
1: it's really the dumbest argument and i think one of the least thought out arguments i always say that it's just because people regurgitate joe rogan from one podcast episode that he did where he had some guy on that was talking about oh well there's mice that die in crop production what people fail to realize is that there are 80 billion farm animals that we need to raise, that we need to feed. What the hell do you think those animals are eating? So if you want to reduce suffering, you should definitely go vegan because it takes over 60% of the agriculture that we grow to feed the farm animals. And ultimately, that results in more crop deaths. And I think that it's the statistic is that there's about 150 billion farm animals that are killed every single year. And there are about 1.7 billion deaths in uh, crop deaths. Absolutely. So it's obviously a lot less.
0: Not even including fish, because if you include fish, then you're over a trillion animals who are being killed and suffocated to death. And uh, yeah, so don't tell me you're eating animals because you're just concerned about animal welfare. That's that's your
2: goal. That's a, That's a great point. So I'm glad you brought it up because if I'm being honest in my journey, there was dishonesty that I didn't, I wanted to say I loved animals. I actually went and helped the dogs and the cats, right? But I didn't want to acknowledge that I was actually harming them. And I sense that that's what happens to a lot of people when they come up with excuses that it does take a person of honesty and integrity to realize that, if I slit the throat of an animal, blood comes out, they squeal for their life, the light leaves their eyes, they shrivel up and die, and the other animals watching them know that this is gonna to happen to them. And there's no amount of excuses. They don't know what they're feeling or animals don't have emotions. We know at an emotional level, we know deep down, we know in our heart we can if we have any analytical capability, we can use a rational argument that if this was to happen to another mammal, why wouldn't it harm why wouldn't they feel emotion and pain right mm-hmm. and we use all types of excuses to just avoid seeing that because if we see that, we know we have to change, and many of us just don't want to change and I'm a prime example of that. It's easier to dangle the chicken and chase the vegetarian than it is to acknowledge that I'm the monster within.
1: Oh, I love that. We're definitely taking a soundbite from that because that is so true. And as activists, we see those reactions on a daily basis, whether it's through social media, whether it's through cubes of truth, where we hold TV screens in public places and show people where their food products are coming from. Whether it's any form of activism, we are like a mirror and a reflection to show people their own guilty conscience in a way. And I and oftentimes I, I say, you know, honey, it, it, it's not me, it's you. And the way, the way that you're reacting is actually just a reflection of how you're feeling on the inside. So I would rather have a reaction out of somebody than no reaction yeah. at all. And part of the reason why is because I almost find it more concerning if somebody just says, I don't care. Yeah. Whereas if they are getting a little bit defensive, they are actually reaching a stage of truth. And the three stages of truth, one is ridicule and humiliation, two is violent oppression, and three is acceptance. And we are seeing the wheels turn in these people's minds. They are thinking about what we are saying. And a defense reaction is actually a step towards, I think, going vegan.
2: That's that's a great observation, because I've heard a lot of people say, oh, you shouldn't say anything that offends others. But I don't think that's the model to look through it, right? Because one, if someone else's reaction controls what I say, then I'm basically a puppet, right? I'm always walking on eggshells, as they say. I'm always trying to figure out how not to trigger that person. I'm not saying you should trigger that person. But what I invite activists and everyone to see is that as long as my intent is not to humiliate you or make you inferior and me superior it doesn't matter what I say and it doesn't matter what the other person's reaction is. As long as my intent is coming from a place of love and compassion and care it doesn't matter what the other person's reaction is. And the example I like to use is that hey imagine there's a child or a woman or a man standing in front of a bus and you go and tackle that person. It's a very violent action right body to body you're physically moving them away from that bus but At the end of the day, it's a very loving and compassionate thing to do, right? So similarly with our words, it's not what others think. It's whether our intent is coming from truth and compassion. And sometimes you have to yell at the child to take his hand away from the stove.
1: 100%. I
0: just wanted to add, um, even people that you mentioned that they rather have, like, no reaction or they say, oh, yeah, I just don't care. I think even that is a form of resistance. Um, so when it comes to resistance, we are, like, evolutionary designed to resist changes. And, like, there is a reason that habits are hard to break because every time we stuck with a habit, it meant that we survived. Everyone who died was... Uh, the person who went to try something new and you know didn't end well, so there is a reason we like habits and we don't like to break them. But even those who say that, uh, oh yeah, I, I've seen the footage, it just doesn't bother me. I don't think they are being uh, genuine. I think that's also a form of resistance because when you ask them, so if you like step on a dog's foot, you're just gonna say, ha, huh, yeah, you know, these these animals don't have souls. I don't really care. You know, are you gonna do that or are you just gonna feel so bad that you literally apologize to a dog as if they can understand your words? I think everyone understands that animals can suffer, except that they just try to disconnect because if they know if they connect or if they tell me that they do care, they know what comes next and I'm gonna hold them accountable. And I'm gonna say, you know, like you mentioned, they may get angry and all I say is I'm a mirror. I'm showing that you say that you care for animals, but with your actions, you're causing this. And I generally, literally ask them, what do you call a person whose action and values are not aligned? And they tell me hypocrite. I'm like, yeah, that's the honest. So you get that honest response and you tell them, yeah, I was a hypocrite before I became vegan. Right. We all were. None of us was born vegan. Right. It was inconvenient. I love taste of animal products. But at some point, you just have to face it and do the right thing
1: hundred percent. And so what are you guys doing with Allied Scholars for Animal Protection? And talk a little bit about how you both met and the, these conversations that you're having. What are some effective forms of activism that you guys are doing today?
0: Yeah, so I became vegan about 10 years ago um, when I was doing my masters and I noticed that there wasn't any like resources for me to use for my uh, when I was in the university. Um, so. And I've been working for all animal rights organizations in the U.S., uh, volunteered for all of them. And I noticed that there is a huge gap, and that's the fact that there is no unified infrastructure for animal advocacy in college campuses. So students don't have guidance, they don't have support. So that's what we are providing them. Um, And at the same time, we are trying to help them to go find careers that can long-term change the system. Because when you think about animal advocacy, you are always like, should we focus on individuals or should we focus on the system? And I say both. But you change the system by changing the individuals. Individuals who are passionate, who then use their careers and what they learn in universities to change the system. So our goal is to put these vegans um, in the position of power. At the same time, uh, help other non-vegans to go vegan. And I also see a lot of vegans who just think about it as a diet and they may not necessarily understand the urgency. So we are there to say, hey, whether you care about the environment, animals, health, you know, antibiotic resistance, anything you ever care about, the best thing you can do with your life is to dedicate your future to promoting veganism.
1: And so why this cause out of everything? I mean, you come from an immigrant background, and so do you. And you're also a minority in many other ways. You're gay. Like, why this issue? Why animal rights? Uh,
0: that's a great question. Uh, generally, I speak about this for like an hour, but I try to make it really quick. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, um, yes. Uh, I am gay. And, you know, uh, you know, I can't actually go back to my country because I'm gay. I, I've been in protest. I almost got killed. In uh, human rights activism um, uh, that I did back in Iran. Uh, But something that occurred to me was that I was always talking about, oh, feminism, oh, you know, human rights, you know, LGBT rights, everything. But at the same time, I was consuming dairy. Now, you tell me, is there any industry that is as abusive as dairy uh, to females of other species? So here I am talking about like human rights consuming dairy, and it never occurred to me. So that's one reason that I think the root cause of animal oppression, human and non-human animal oppression, is the same. The way we oppress other people is the same exact excuse that we use. We focus on our differences. We say you're white and brown, and because of our color, therefore, that's justified to oppress me. But we know that this is just ridiculous. Um, We are morally advanced that much. Uh, because we know that the only really relevant question is that if you oppress me, I suffer. If you stab me, it'll hurt. Um, so just apply the same thing to other animals. No vegan. This is the biggest problem that I see. People say that vegans think that a human is identical to a cow or, or to, a, to a pig. That's not what we are saying. We are saying we are different, but in the only way that it matters, we are identical. And that's our capacity to feel pain and suffering. But I just want to touch on the other uh, aspects. So I've spent, you know, years designing drugs for cancer, for inflammatory diseases, for pandemics, COVID-19, influenza. Every disease I ever studied came back to animal consumption. Right. So I was just so tired of uh, spending resources and time and money on coming up with temporary solutions, bandages, instead of addressing the root cause, which is... Uh, animal consumption.
1: Absolutely. I think you really said it all. It's this It's this idea that, oh, well, because there was a fire at the dairy farm in Texas that killed 18,000 cows, people are saying, oh, we should just instill more protection against fire. No, look at the root cause. If we just freaking milked almonds, we wouldn't be having this issue in the first place. It's it, people just keep trying to try to make something bad good. Uh, And it really, it just makes no sense. It, It constantly results in some type of problem. It results in death. It results in people that are, we're gonna be seeing more pandemics in our future, our environment, there's so many different issues. So I guess, talk a little bit about what you guys are doing with ASAP and how people can get more involved and why you think targeting college students and outreaching to universities is effective and important.
0: Yeah, I answered the last question first because it's the most important one. Why college students? Because, or that generation for that matter, because they have the power. These people are going to become the future uh, advocates, future politicians, lawyers, uh, doctors, and they can then use that passion to change the system. Um there is so much talent in universities. Every time on, I'm on a campus, I see like, you know, smartest pe- people. They, they are so passionate about these issues. They care about the environment. They care about health. They care about animals. They just don't know about veganism. It, they don't know how much power they have. So we really want to harvest that power. We really think that the solution is in um, this generation. So that's why we're focusing on them. And also, uh, generally after college people already have careers uh, and the older you get it's harder for you to change so that's just the best you know time to to influence a future generation and we really want them to become the future leaders um, but what we are doing we basically with allied scholars we focus on three areas one is outreach so we help vegans not to shy away from talking about you know why they are vegan understand all the you know how to defend their position because there's so much misinformation there right so we help them to speak up um, I think the artists can talk more about this but like vegans have been told that you know oh you know you're always like talking you know uh, you're always saying that you know famous joke how do you know someone is vegan oh don't worry they tell you right uh, <laughs> haha uh, <laughs> yeah how do you know someone is anti-racist no you know you would know because if you make a racist comment they would It's our moral obligation to say something, right? We are not worried about ourselves to be judged. We say something. So, first thing, we wanna train and support vegans to be vocal. Second, we work with uh, medical schools. We bring plant-based nutrition to medical schools. We really wanna bring that education in. And third, we work with dining halls to go plant-based and reduce that barrier that people say, oh, it's just really hard to go vegan. So we wanna remove that barrier. And generate a positive feedback loop that it just grows and grows by itself.
1: Amazing. I think that's absolutely incredible. So, okay, you're doing all these amazing uh, events at college campuses. So what are some effective outreach events that you have?
0: Um, yeah, one of the most effective ways to do outreach is actually giving away uh, dog meat and uh, human breast milk.
1: Lovely, for us. So why dog meat and why breast milk? <laughs> because
0: we notice that people are just very concerned about protein bioavailability. Um, and it turns out the protein bioavailability is actually higher in dog meat. So it also tastes better, right? So for a lot of people, they, you know, all the, they're against animal cruelty, but as long as it tastes good, it justifies animal cruelty. So there you go. You have now dog meat that if you roast it well, it's just amazing. Tastes amazing. It's, it has all the nutrients that you want. And breast milk, human breast milk, right? It's meant for humans, right? Instead of like, uh, dairy milk, which is like meant for baby cows. So it's meant for design for humans, evolved for humans, nutritionally adequate, and you know, um, why not?
1: Absolutely brilliant. And I hope you guys know we're being facetious here. Okay, this is, <laughs> it, it is not actually dog meat, and it is not actually human breast milk, but it really does draw people in and get them thinking, oh my god, They're right. You guys have a point, right? Because then they're able to actually look at this issue head on for what it really is. So, why not just drink human breast milk as opposed to cow breast milk? Uh, And by seeing the demo, you really get those wheels turning.
0: Especially when it comes to when people say, oh, you know, harming animals is wrong. We just have to do it quote unquote humanely. Then we say, here are dogs. We treated our dogs humanely. And they still say, no. I'm like, how come? If humanely, humane slaughter and killing makes it okay then how come you you still have problem
1: it just goes to show the speciesism that exactly that people have this they are drawn towards dogs but then it's okay to harm a cow chicken pig or turkey it really just makes absolutely no sense so what about some conversations that you guys have had with people anything stand out in mind i I know you just released that video with natalie fulton tell me a little bit about that guy that was yelling at you
2: to answer your first question about some of the conversations. What we've noticed is that when we talk about dogs, people come in saying, Is this for real? You shouldn't do that. Uh, it's disgusting, right? And they come and say, you, sh- you shouldn't be harming dogs. And we say, Well, what's the difference between a dog and a cow? And then they say, Well, one's for consumption, one's for not, not for consumption. And we say, Well, what happens if I kick that dog? Does it feel pain? Does the cow feel pain? So, in many ways, they've done our work for them. And then what's fascinating is that when we say, Yeah, you're absolutely right, you shouldn't be eating dog and you shouldn't be eating cow and pig that's when it switches and they like they realize what's happened and then they'll fiercely try to justify why dog bad cow good mm. so again it makes it makes our work easier because they've already done a lot of the arguing for us and we just Pointing it out to them.
1: And the last demo that you guys did was absolutely brilliant. You had a whole tent set up. You actually had advertisements playing on a TV screen showing Labrador Retriever meat and, you know, Pug Filet Mignons or what. I mean, seriously brilliant, yeah. brilliant advertising. And I think you use your background in marketing and advertising to p- pull this event together. So it was really, really well done. Um, I really would love to do this with you guys one time because I think it would be really fun to see people's reactions and get people thinking. So I guess, so one thing that we also experience a lot of is this humane washing, this green washing, oh, pasture raised, free range. So what does the word humane mean to you?
0: That's actually what I ask people uh, because you're absolutely right. I think that's one of the biggest problems with our movement. You go to any grocery stores and you see all these labels, free range, cage-free, uh, humanely raised, certified this, certified that. And people tell me, yeah, the footage you are showing here from factory farms is terrible. It just has to be more be done like nicely. And I ask them, "Or humanely, and I ask them, what is humane? And generally, they, they don't have an answer for it. And I tell them, if you actually look up the word humane in dictionary, that means act of compassion and kindness. Mm-hmm. So an example of killing an animal compassionately is when a dog is sick and old, and we put them down in a vet office, we pay out of pocket, we are crying, we just like it emotion. We do it because we are reducing their suffering. So that's an act of compassion. But when you eat an animal just because you like the taste, when you kill a healthy animal who wants to live because you just like the taste of their flesh and body part, that's anything but compassion. That's literally the definition of being selfish. So if we compare that to any other, just like not directly comparing humans with other animals, but just applying the logic elsewhere. Let's say I, uh, you know, kill a person after torturing them. Scenario B, I kill them after I drug them and, you know, they pass out and then I kill them. Right? So I think everyone realizes that the second scenario is not just morally okay because they didn't feel pain. So that, right. so you, yeah, of course it's better. It's
1: so ridiculous people, that people, <laughs> <I haven't... laughs> that people right? don't even come up with these scenarios. Like, you really are trying to make something, you're calling something in a slaughterhouse humane. What the f-
0: That's where I'm getting at, that when something is inherently wrong, such as murdering a person who didn't want to die, even if I remove the pain from scenario, it doesn't automatically become okay. Is it better? Yeah, it's better than torturing someone. But is it right? Still wrong, right? So instead of finding a better way to do something wrong, why not just doing the right thing and not killing animals in the
1: first place? Absolutely. And people should ask themselves if they would want it done to them before they then go and say it's okay to do it to another individual. Absolutely. And if you wouldn't want it done to you, then likelihood it's not as humane as you make it sound.
2: I'd also add to this so con- companies do a lot of consumer research. And what they know is that what people don't really want to be, don't want to think that they're responsible for killing animals, right? that comes up as one of the objections to buying their product. So how can they make it smoother for you to buy their product? Mm-hmm. They give you, if you go, go to Whole Foods, go to any Whole Foods above the animal flesh island, see all the happy animals and all the certifications that happen, right? So all this is done to make the consumer feel better that, hey, when you buy the animal flesh that's shrink trapped, you can do it with a good conscience because the animals were treated humanely, you know? They lived a happy life. Mm-hmm. And that's what helps sell their products so just know that when you buy that you're just falling prey to marketing there is no humane way to end the life of someone who didn't want to die
0: someone was telling me once uh yeah i buy my meat from somewhere like animals are raised and like they're just like super happy they just have one bad day it irritated (laughs) me so much it's like, to me, a bad day is like when I have a, like a flat tire. That's that's a bad day for me, not the day that I get my like head chopped yeah. off.
2: And it's, and that's very interesting. So we use these euphemisms, right? And it's very important to call these out as euphemisms because if we call them out for, I have my throat slit, people would not buy it, right? This is why whenever you have regimes who do despotic things, they use phrases like the final solution instead of saying concentration camps, right? Or... Uh, it's the same thing that happens with uh, animal products. They lived a happy, humane, well-cared for life. It's not that they were crammed into my industrial barn and then uh, I stunned them and they were still alive as as the blood came out of their throat.
1: It's so true that if slaughterhouses had glass walls, people would probably not eat these products. Mm -hmm. We spend so much of our time As activists it's part of our identity it's part of who we are and a a lot of us tend to gravitate towards other activists and towards other people that also support animal rights but what about our partners
0: I think none of us was vegan right so at some point someone came to us held us accountable and we saw the truth and we changed so I think we should just give this opportunity to everyone else and be kind. Um, but I think when it comes to relationships, um, especially if you're an activist and your whole purpose is to save animals, how can I be with someone who's literally the cause of the problem I'm trying to solve? I mean, think about it in, as any other form of injustice, right? If we think what's happening to animals is a form of injustice, then would we tolerate if our partner, for instance, just think about another form of injustice,
1: women's rights,
0: women's rights. Imagine like my partner was very rude to women. Uh, he sexually assaulted women. Um, and I'm like, yeah. And, you know, here I am. I'm, I'm like a woman's right activist. Mm-hmm. Does it make any sense to be with this person? Right. Yeah. Unless we you know, talk about it and say, hey, this cannot last. You know, we just have to you either have to change or this is the end of it. So I think. Uh, but the problem is that it can only go to, two ways. One is the activist feels awkward and they feel like silenced. They feel like they can't really freely talk about animal rights issues uh, with their partner or that they have to speak up and then you get a lot of challenges and it's going to fall apart.
1: Hmm. I think it, it can be one of the hardest things for activists is to be with a partner, and even just with close family and friends that don't get it. And for the first year of dating my boyfriend, he was not vegan. And it did cause a lot of issues. It was really hard to be on the same page when we first started dating. And I decided I would give him time. And I didn't want to force it down his throat because ultimately I wanted him to go vegan because he believed it was the right thing to do, not because... I am forcing him to. I didn't want him sneaking cheese behind my back. You know what I mean? So I set my boundaries from the very beginning. And I said, listen, I don't want to see it. I don't want to know about it. If I smell it on your breath, you are not getting a kiss goodnight. You know, this is this is disgusting to me, first of all. And, and of course, you know, this is what I'm fighting every day to end. And he was very, very respectful of that. And I think within those couple of months he took the time to do his own research and learn about it and he understood I, it was not allowed on the table when we went out to eat he ordered vegan and he he was fine and that's i think the only reason that it was able to work for those first year the first year and then my birthday rolled around and i said hey babe i want you to watch earthlings and dominion both wow. of them back to back love that and he did And he did, and he was bawling his eyes out. I mean, he was really, really impacted by those films. And if you guys that are listening haven't watched them yet, it basically just shows you the standard practices of how the animals are killed and what happens in the dairy industry, what happens in the fashion industry, in cosmetic testing. It really goes through every single industry pretty thoroughly. And he watched those, and he was like, I got to change. And he did. And it's been two years since that. We've been together for almost three years and he gets it now. He's not an activist, but he is not contributing to the issue, which thank God that, that relationship wouldn't have lasted yeah. long. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I love the way you did it,
2: because what I've noticed is. Yeah, it's fine if someone is not vegan. We all were not vegan, right? We all abused animals. It's fine to take a few days, a few weeks, a few months to investigate. But if you're in a relationship, and I know many people like this, where for years the other partner is thinking about it and I'll see and making baby steps, you know, like the 50-year-old man is making baby steps, that's just internal dishonesty. He's pretending to give you a little bit, knowing that that will get you off his back. And I loved what you did, that this is very clear. Uh, I'm not going to kiss you if I smell animal flesh on your breath. And this is for everyone who's in a relationship with someone who consumes animal products. What does it do to you, or how does it make you feel knowing that you don't eat animals because you know what happens to them, but then you're living with someone who abuses them because he or she doesn't want to prefers the taste, the sensation, the bodily pressure, and then comes and kisses you and that smell wafts into your mouth, is that something that makes you feel proud of being with that person? And I know it's very difficult to talk about these things, but what I'd encourage people to see is, I disagree that it's actually hard to be in a relationship with non-vegans. I think it's actually, if you're an activist or you know why you're vegan, it's very easy uh, for you to be in relationships because you know that if I'm not abusing animals, just as us, said, I wouldn't be in a relationship with a racist. I wouldn't be in a relationship with someone who's sexist. I'm just not going to be in a relationship with someone who continues to eat animals. Again, the phrase is continues to. Do your research. Look into it. But if at some point you're choosing animal flesh over not killing and not being violent to the most innocent and compassionate creatures in the world, how are you going to benefit me? And I know we don't ask this question in relationships, but at least the way I see relationships, it's very different from my parents and my family. I don't get to choose them. So maybe they get a little more slack. I still hold the line. I still say, if we are going out, it has to be without animal flesh, otherwise I can't come. And they make accommodations because everyone knows deep down that it's not whim. Like if I was to say dye your hair pink and wear a green shirt and only then I'll go out for dinner, they'd laugh me out of the room, right? But if I say let's go to a place that doesn't serve animal flesh and I'll make sure it's tasty, they come along. Why is that? Because they know inherently that there's something valuable and loving in that
1: and also maybe they don't want you to feel super uncomfortable i mean you've set those boundaries and i think that that's really important to do and not just on the animal rights activism topic but just in relationship in general you should set your boundaries and i think that allows for a healthy conversation and a healthy communication going forward
2: i think we also aren't taught what to look for in another partner right so when you look at the media You look at movies, you look at our parents, what do we choose? Usually it's someone who looks good and someone who's fun, right? And we think those are the attributes to choosing a partner. And yeah, that could be fine for a few weeks or a few months. But if you're thinking about something that's long-term, those things fizzle out. That's why they call it, you get the seven year itch, the new relationship energy. It's kind of like another form of entertainment, right? I'd say that, I'm not against relationships but there has to be a deeper purpose right how is this human being going to help me reach my highest potential and how am i going to help her reach her highest potential right i think that's a much loftier reason to get into a relationship than just fun and pleasure right and i think the ones that relationships that have that that i will challenge you and you challenge me are the ones that work ideally my Companion should be telling me no, that's a stupid thing fifty times a day. That's the type of partner I want, because I do lots of stupid things.
1: He's single, ladies. Uh-huh.
0: So Today I actually wanted to. I am. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's the best thing. It's the best thing I've done. Uh, you know, the moment that I realized that I always wanted a relationship, just because I saw it in movies, and I grew up as if like this is by default. You know, at some point I grew up. I thought I'm gonna have a wife and children and realized, well, I'm gay, so it's just naturally not going to go that way. And then I was like, do I really want a family and all of that? I'm not saying like what's best for everybody, but for myself. It was almost like coming out experience, which was one of the most fearing experiences in my life. Mm-hmm. It was just as amazing when I realized that I don't have to be in a relationship. If it comes, If I find somebody that holds me accountable and makes me a better person, then that makes sense but to that i actually wanted to say if we are finding it challenging to speak up to our partner i think it's a good exercise to do some self-reflection and see why we are so uncomfortable and a lot of times it comes down to insecurities and it's okay i think we should be honest that we are humans and you could be the loudest activist on the street but when you when it comes to your relationship then you're just insecure Why would I not give them this ultimatum? Because I'm worried that they may leave me. Then, so what? What happens if they leave me? Well, I don't want to be lonely. Okay, so it's about me. So am I putting myself ahead of animals being tortured? Is that what I'm doing, right? Is that the person I want to be? I'd rather be with a person that you know, every time I'm every time I'm like a little worried about should I say this? Uh, will I r- lose my friends? You know, Darius comes to me and says like, you know, you should say it. You should you shouldn't worry about your relationships, but with friends and other people, right? Just mm-hmm. put animals first. So that's a person that wants to hold me accountable and make me a better version of myself, rather than now I'm nervous, I can't speak my mind.
1: Absolutely, I think that that's so important, and it did get to a point with my partner where I did have to just start speaking up and I did put my foot down. And that's when I was like, you're watching Dominion. You're watching Earthlings because I can't have you continue buying these products. I know that he loves animals. I know deep down it's just he wanted to stay comfortable in his ways. And you you said before that it's much easier to mock vegans, laugh at vegans than to look internally and say... I'm wrong. And I need to change. And so I think just with this issue in general is the animal products are so normalized. You know, the the people that we're talking about, our partners, our friends, our family that aren't vegan, they go into grocery stores. There's animal body parts everywhere. They go into any restaurant. There's animal body parts and secretions everywhere. They go on turn on the TV, animal body parts and secretions pop up. It's everywhere. So it's like they probably are just able to turn things off in their mind and say oh well if it's everywhere how could this be so wrong if it's so widespread how could this be so bad and it's just easy for them to continue eating these products i think it comes to that social aspect of it and for my boyfriend it was a lot of like he was more so i think afraid to stand up to his friends
2: yeah and but for us it is very interesting so there's a very clear mental hierarchy in everything we do and if animals and saving animals is higher than the pleasure of being with someone else. And let's be very honest, when we're with someone else, it's usually some form of pleasure that we're getting. We, As Faraz pointed out, we're not feeling lonely. Maybe we get sex. Maybe we get companionship. All those type of things, right? And then you have to ask yourself, is my petty pleasure more important than animals' lives? In which case, fine, go ahead. But know that that's the choice you're making. I think many people make this choice unconsciously. And it's fine if you want to make that choice but just know that's the choice you're making or do i want to save these innocent compassionate creatures who've done nothing to me do i want to facilitate that throat being slit because let's be very honest when you're with someone who pays to slit their throat you're actually emboldening that person to do it right whereas if you were to toe a line and say hey you can't be with me if you do this that person might shape up. And the example I like to use is Renee from Rowdy Girl Sanctuary, right? That Mm. her husband was a cattle rancher, they had cows, and she said it always tore at her, and she one day said, choose the cows or choose me, but choose one of them, right? And that's when he changed. And until you give people this choice, they will not change, right? It's human nature, I would do it as well, that if you want me to do something and I don't want to do it, I'd do everything to convince you that I'm doing it, right? And we all do this. So stand firm. And I love how you set the boundaries uh, with your boyfriend and you were very clear. I really admire that.
1: It was hard. It was really hard. You know, it's somebody that I especially in the beginning there it's there's this lust. I'm like, I love him. I don't want to lose him, but also I don't I shouldn't have to sacrifice my morals and my values for this person. And if he's really the right person for me, then he'll get it and he'll change and he'll understand. Because ultimately in the future, I wanna raise my kids vegan. I don't want any if, ands, or buts. I don't want any questions about this from my partner, you know, obviously. So it, uh, I'd rather just weed out the bad ones now.
2: Yeah, I love that you do that because we don't spend most of our time with our parents or with our friends, right? It's the partner who would influence us the most and we take in everything from them, right? And if they at some level think it's okay to abuse animals, it's very—it's gonna definitely be in contrast to what any of us would think, right? And I ask myself that how is this person's abusing animals justifies my being with her? So in other words, is there something that she's offering that transcends abusing animals, and I've almost never found that there is.
1: Right, well, the thing is that they don't see it as abusing animals. They say, oh, well, I'm not slitting their throat. The animal's already dead. Somebody else did it for me. And, when and that's
2: dishonesty, right? Because, and, it, and, it, yeah. and it takes courage to say that my partner's dishonest and doesn't want to see the world as it is. She'd rather see the world as she wants it to be. Right, but... And that hurts, right, because I chose her. So if I say that she's dishonest, it's a reflection on my ability to choose.
1: The throat was slit for you. That's why it happened. There was a consequence to your eating the animal, obviously. So we try everything from civil disobedience to disruptions to talks. I mean, you're giving talks at MIT, Harvard, Columbia. We're trying everything. What do you think are key things that we need to know as activists and things that we need to do as activists? To create change
0: i think uh <clears throat> for the most part we just need all vegans to be vocal and advocates veganism is literally the bare mi- sorry bad news but it's literally the bare minimum that we can do right shouldn't even be a word we don't we don't have a word for a person who doesn't abuse woman it's just given right so that's where we are with veganism so we are not giving anybody a favor that's just the moral baseline So after that, we just have to treat it like any other form of oppression. So if someone does something that is, you know, inconsistent with that logic or moral value, then we should speak up. Now, the way we speak up can be very different. Um, And all I say is that the most important thing is to do something and push yourself out of your comfort zone. A lot of people say, hey, I'm just not like a kind of a person who goes out on the streets and like talks to people. So I tell you this, I, you know, uh, I'm a doctor, I'm super busy and I'm very introvert. I do not like to go out of my way and talk to random strangers on their street to talk about like what they shove in their face. Mm-hmm. That's the last thing I wanna do. But I do it because I know that not enough people are doing it and I know that this also connects me with the actual victim. So every time I see the footage, I remember why I'm fighting this fight. And so, uh, I know that naturally a lot of people say, Oh, I guess I'm not really that talented in speaking to, to others. It's a lot of it is just training, training and not doing it and not feeling because it's new. It feels uncomfortable. So, uh, I guess I encourage everyone to go out there and just, uh, try different things and learn and practice and they, they become good at it. Um, and after that, especially given the fact that I work with a lot of students, the best thing they can do is to use their careers, and this doesn't apply just to students. You can you can be older. You don't have to be a student. You can just look look around and see what you have in your hands that you can use for this cause. I mean, think about it. We have very different backgrounds, right? You have like film. You studied film. Uh, studied biomedical sciences. He studied uh, studied finance and business and marketing, right? None of us was vegan at the time, and we all gain this experience and then the question was okay the goal is to save animals how can we channel what we learned in the most impactful way to help animals now you're making podcasts i'm doing medical education in universities and working with you know academic and scholars and so does he and i never thought like his marketing and advertisement background comes so handy but you know with elwood's uh, dog meat we could see how important it was so it doesn't matter what you do Donate your money, donate your time, and use your careers. I think that's the most impactful thing. But I have no doubt. It's a big question. A lot of people don't know what to do. But I'm not worried about it as long as you have that fire. As long as you realize every second thousands upon thousands of animals are dying, right? As long as you have that sense of urgency, you'll figure it out.
1: What ignited that fire for you, though? Because I think back to when I first went vegan, I understood how urgent the issue was. I saw animals dying. I didn't want to contribute to it anymore. And it really obviously upset me. But I wasn't an activist yet. So what was it for you that made you switch to become an activist?
0: Um, I think uh, for me, the overall question was always how can I make the world a better place? And even before going vegan, that was always the question. How can I do something better? You know, I was studying chemical engineering, I was like, I'm, I'm not having the impact that I want. Maybe i just go do clinic clowning. So I went to hospitals, I played, like, as an introvert, I went, you know, did clowning in hospitals to make, like, cancer patients, like, happy. Aww. Then I asked myself, is this all I can do or can I do something better? I was like, well, if I study cancer, that'd be better. So I always ask myself this question, how can I do more? How can I make this world a better place? And that's what I truly find joy. And, you know, that's when I die, all I want is to be able to look back and say, the question will not be how much money I saved, uh, you know, how many people knew me, how many relationships I had. The only thing that will be important for me is the impact. So I can look back and I say, those are the lives that I saved. You rescue an animal and you're like if i didn't do anything else in my life you know i saved you so i guess that's a fire and then when you look at the numbers and now so i I understand that i want to do something that makes the world a better place and i feel like a lot of people do a lot of people donate to charities Uh, they work on i don't know climate they care about the environment they do different things that they really want to make the world a better place. But if you understand the numbers and magnitude and scale of animal suffering, there is literally nothing else that matches that. And so once you combine these two, there is only one thing that you can do, and that's dedicating the rest of your life to this cause.
1: Yes, and this is a cause that relates to so many issues from human rights to the environment, to health, to animals. It's it's something that is kind of connected to everything when you really break it down. And not to knock myself, but... I was not somebody that really cared about anything except partying and being cool and hanging out with my friends. And so it's really it's like if I could go vegan and become an activist, literally anybody can. Like this this path was something I would have never seen myself going down. If anything, I was kind of the class clown. I was never in class. I was like I could care less about anything political, anything. Social justice oriented. Like maybe, okay, I would want to volunteer at a dog and cat shelter, but it wasn't anything that was really on my radar. And in fact, I kind of wanted to just block it out because it's much easier to not think about the world suffering and just to kind of stay blind and ignorantly blissful. Kind of like when you look at The Matrix, it's like red pill or blue pill. Which one would you choose? And I was definitely in a state where I was just living my life and focused on me. I was very selfish. And I think about when that moment or when that time was. That I started to wake up and see how my actions affected the world. And I don't know if it was something where over time that it was multiple seeds that were planted in my mind that then one day I was like, okay, the snap of a finger, I, I need to go vegan and I need to speak up about these issues. And I think also what it was for me was after I did go vegan, it was seeing other people speak up about this issue. Like I think back five years ago, I would be so proud of myself to where I am today because I was one of those people where I was like, oh, I I could never have a full-on conversation about this. I'm a little nervous. I'm scared. I don't really know the facts. If somebody asks me this question, I wouldn't know what to say. And I will say that by looking at Humane Hancock, Earthling Ed, Ryuji Chua, like looking at other activists and how they articulate themselves and reading the research, looking at the science myself and analyzing it, I can say that now I can speak up about these issues and it's really just practice and it's uh, learning and it's like every single day I'm learning more and more things about this world and how many things we really have to change, (laughs) you know?
0: you made a very good point with like looking at other people who spoke out and that motivates you because I always ask people, like think about people that you admire, even not in animal advocacy movement, uh, just like in general, like, you know, people say Gandhi, MLK, all those leaders. And if you really think that the quality that you admire in them is the fact that they spoke up and they didn't basically, they have the they had the courage to fight for the victims and like not shut up until abolition of discrimination and violence and they did not care what other people thought about them they were in fact uh, not popular at their time right they went to jail they got shot (laughs) but they did not give up and that's why they won and everyone recognizes that right so how many like all vegans love Ed, right but if you love him because why do you like him because he takes his time, he goes out there, he's done his research and he's doing something that we all know needs to be done. So if that's a quality, and just remember, these are not super superhuman, humans, right? Those qualities exist in us too. We just have to focus and find them and train and we can be just as good, if not better, mm-hmm. right?
1: Well, social change is uncomfortable, right? So you look at times you were saying people didn't like MLK. Now we look, he's he's a hero now. But it's kind of the same thing, you know. You people don't like vegans because it's we're, we're creating that uncomfortable change. We're trying to create a shift in status quo, and so I, I really think that that it's so important to recognize. You got to just stop caring so much what people think of you. It, this was a huge, huge thing for me, like. I really cared so much about what people thought for me. And and I think when I decided to take on this cause and fight for the animals, I just had to let that go. And you kind of develop a thick skin. You know, I read through some of my TikTok comments or Instagram real comments, and I just laugh at this point. I mean, it's, it's, it's unbelievable how unoriginal people are. Like, Give me something to freaking work with, people. I get it. Meat is tasty. Like, people will just comment, like, oh, they'll comment a bone and a steak, and I'm going to eat two times as much because of you. It's like, uh, yawn, I've heard this a million times. Come on, people.
0: But you're actually making a good point. Yes, you may actually lose friends or, you know, people may resist, but you also find like-minded people. I mean, duh.
1: Duh. We wouldn't have literally, come together.
0: Literally three different countries, three different places in the world, you know, our our lives uh, crossed. And you ask how we met. We actually met during, like, a Anonymous for the Voiceless Cube, you know? I was like, I just need to go out there and do something, and I was at some place at the right time, and he was there, and we found that we both had that fire, and am like, how can we do more? And that's how we became friends, right? So you actually find... I so if there is one selfish thing to veganism, that's veganism has brought the kindest and most compassionate and smartest people to my life. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't do that, I would not have these people around me. And that's the best thing I have for myself.
1: I completely agree with you there. I've met the most incredible selfless people. I mean, we would die for this cause. That's just, I think that right there says everything. And I would not not have connected with some of my best closest friends if not for veganism. So, you know, while we do deal with struggles and deal with people losing friends, family, even sometimes, we do gain lifelong friendships uh, and you kind of understand each other on a deeper level than.
2: I think the way to look, at least the way I look at it is, is the pain from people not liking me or people being smocky and snooty more than the pain of knowing that if I don't speak up, these animals will die or the pain of knowing that I wish I could speak up, but I'm not going to do it because I worry about what people care about me. And for me, it's always been very easy that the pain that would come from not speaking up and say what was true is far more than the pain that comes with people being snooty and snarky. And when I'm on my deathbed, what am I going to really think about? Am I going to think about, yeah, uh, I'm so glad I was friends with her and we went and watched a lot of movies? Or am I going to think about, yes, I'm so glad I fought for this cause, this big cause, this massive cause, and we made some inroads into it. What's what would be better for me, and it's to me it's much better to have a big, large goal that I may never achieve, but at least I fought for it with everything that I
0: had.
1: Absolutely. I love that.
0: Can I give an example to this? Please. Um, so I was hosting a Halloween party um, in my house. For the record, I hate parties, uh, but this was a community that I was really trying to connect with. He likes them. Um, <laughs> Just with like-minded people. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Um, but uh, no loud music. But anyways, so, uh, yeah. So the most, most people in this party weren't, weren't vegan. Um, and the per- person who was, like, actually organizing the party uh, himself wasn't vegan. So he offered to have, like, vegetarian pizza in the house. And I was like, nah, you know, let's have it vegan. And he was like, it's expensive. I was like, I pay for it. That's fine. And then... Uh, I wasn't like strong enough uh, to just like clarify that no animal products in my house Mm -hmm. and he ended up there. And because of that, I never also dared and had the courage to talk about veganism more because I already gave up, right? And after the party, I, I felt like shit. I felt like I let, like I always talk about veganism, but I let my values down. Like I go hold other people accountable, but I can't even hold myself accountable. Because I'm, I have this insecurity that, you know, I want to just connect with these people. Mm. Who the fuck are they? Like, why am I, why am I letting my values down? Why am I putting animals lower than just some temporary, uh, you know, relationships, friendships, right? And after that, I felt terrible. It was painful to just look back, and I promised myself that I would never put myself in that position again. And uh, Darius actually helped me. There was a similar event. I really politely said, hey, can we just go somewhere that is vegan and, um, you know, I'll buy the dinner. And uh, if not, I still really want to meet you, but um, we can just go for a walk. But I just can't be somewhere that, you know, um, in front of like animal products. And that worked.
1: I think that the way that you did it is Awesome. I think by offering another option, by saying either I'll pay for it or we can go somewhere else, we can go for a walk instead, or I'll pick the restaurant, we can go there, I think are all really, really good solutions. I go back and forth with this issue all the time. Is it going to be more effective for me to sit down at a table where there are animal products there so that I can talk to people and answer questions and show them all the delicious food that I'm eating? Or is it better almost as a form of protest, like the liberation pledge, to just not go at all? And I I will say this flat out, I, after a Thanksgiving back in 2019, cried the whole time. I was devastated. I had gone to a slaughterhouse earlier that morning and saw turkeys. And then I came to my family's house and there was a turkey on the table and it was extremely uncomfortable. And I pledged, I was like, I am not sitting down at a table where there are animal products. And it did leave me in situations that were difficult because at weddings, I would just have to like wander around venues while people were sitting down to eat (laughs) because I wouldn't sit down at the table or I missed out on a lot of different family events. And what I realized is that people stopped inviting me places. And it was really difficult and hard. I mean, to, to a certain extent, I just said, oh, I don't care. Like, I would rather not be there. But there were certain events where I kind of did care about not being there, like a grandparent's birthday celebration. You know, my grandparents were in their 90s. Like, how many birthdays are they going to have? You know, there were certain things where I just felt super disconnected from everyone and I still do to a certain extent because I don't really put myself in these situations but I'm curious to know your thoughts like I go back and forth on it and I kind of weigh out the situation now at this point. I'm trying to think the last time I was at a table with animal products I can't even I I, I think I might have gone to some event where they were giving out hors d'oeuvres where there were were animal products on it. But I obviously refused. And I was like, no, thank you. Like, I don't really eat animal flesh. I love that you brought
2: this up because for a lot of people, meals means connection. And when you say, I'm not going to share a meal with you, what the other thing says that the connection is broken, right? So I think there's a way you can do both using just how you language it, principles of nonviolent communication. So knowing that the other person cares about the connection and you care about the animal abuse, there's a way to phrase it as, I've seen a few documentaries and I've been to a slaughterhouse and I've seen how the animals die and I feel very uncomfortable around animal flesh. At the same time, I value our connection. You and I go back a long way and I want you to know that I still want to connect with you, but can we do it in a setting that does not involve eating animal products. And here are a few options. Tell me what sound good to you. And one can be, we go to a restaurant and I'll make sure I order tasty food because everyone cares about the food. Uh, I'll make sure the food's very tasty. Uh, if you have the resources and you want them to actually sample vegan food, you can say, hey, I'll treat you to dinner. In my experience, virtually no one has said no to that. Mm-hmm. Or you can say, oh, we can go do something outside of a restaurant and we can still have our connection, like maybe we sit in a park or go for a walk, right? And I think if you can say that and the other person cares about you, they will meet you somewhere. So in my experience, it hasn't been particularly terrible. What's harder is to say it the first few times. And what will happen sometimes is that you'll find that there are people who you thought were close to you, but aren't really that close. All they care about is the personal bodily comfort and at some point it's best to let them go but in my experience friends family even business colleagues when i put it that way we always find a place to meet so and maybe another way of doing it is to say that hey i really don't like animal products Uh, and if you want to go to the event you can say can you make sure that there's something that does not involve animal products so that way at least you have something Uh, to eat as well. I usually don't do that. To, To me, it's made my life a lot easier because it's cut off all the crap, all the parties, all the functions, all the social nonsense. I have more time to do the things I want to do.
1: Mm, Yeah, I think that these are all really, really good suggestions. I also really like cooking with friends and being like, let me show you how to do this. Let me show you some of the products that I have. And maybe you can go and buy this too. Because I think that a lot of people find veganism to be restrictive or hard. And oh, well, I don't know how to, you know, cook tofu. I don't know how to season it. And, And Really, when you look at meat that you're eating, it's seasoned with plants. So it's just a matter of taking those seasonings and those spices and cooking tofu, making different tempeh dishes or seitan. And why don't we talk a little bit about protein? I mean, what, what exactly is it? And tell me, like in your studies and, and with science, what have you, what have you seen, seen in your experience, experience being, being a, a doctor? doctor?
0: So proteins, you can just think about like Lego pieces that you uh, have limited number of like types of Lego pieces, but you build different things with it. You build a building, you build a, uh, you know, human or whatever with different pieces, but they're all made of, you know, a limited number of pieces of Lego. So uh, proteins are those functional things that we make with Lego. The tiny bits of Lego, those are the amino acids. So you have like 20 amino acids, half of them, almost half you need to get from food and the other half your body actually uh, makes them. And they all can be found in uh, all plants. Literally anything that has a functional cell needs proteins to function and to have those proteins they need all these amino acids. So that's where you get, you get them. Um, and uh, people talk about bioavailability all the time but uh, that's really not a concern or they talk about um, complete protein. You keep hearing that. That's such a bullshit definition because, it first of all, it suggests that plants don't have complete proteins, which is not the case. So actually, even with that bad definition, soy still is complete protein. And complete protein, what it means is not that it's lacking. If something is not a complete protein, it doesn't mean that it's not, it doesn't have like one of these amino acids. It just means that the ratio is a little lower, the ratio of that amino acid. The only way that you would eat plant-based diet and you wouldn't get enough of one of these amino acids as as if like if you just ate rice like nothing else no variety it's just like crazy no one lives like that like you have to try really hard and i always remind people what is number one cause of death
1: heart disease
0: heart disease it's not protein deficiency like it's not uh it's heart disease cancer diabetes right all of that so it's just when people just argue like these problems with veganism like bro have you looked at the top causes of death it's not like b12 deficiency right um so it's just very dishonest to to just bring all these arguments without even knowing that okay complete protein here is soy for you you know next give me next
1: batter up baby come at me you know it's really yeah it really goes to show how little thought people have put into this and it just shows that they're regurgitating information false information that they've heard over the years
0: that is so important because he actually taught me this Uh, when people say oh veganism is very expensive um, instead of me just going and ramble for 10 minutes and say it's not i just say what do you think is expensive in a plant-based diet? And they're like, "Um, I don't know, I guess I just heard this, right? Or I was in a conference, I literally go to uh, like biophysics conferences to tell other biophysicists that instead of working on all these diseases, the root cause is here, animal consumption, Um, and some biophysicists came to me and said, well, we are basically you know carnivores. I was like, how so? And she was like, well, I guess I don't know, I just heard it, right? That's how little people think about it. And, and, you, would think, PhD. and you would think scientists with PhD do better, but no. Uh, I mean, you hear, uh, what was his face? Uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, he was like, oh, plants have feelings or vegans kill plants or like the level of dishonesty. Because I always say intelligence does not fix uh, cognitive dissonance. When you're not connecting these two dots, you can be the st- smartest guy in the world and still not acknowledge these problems, as if like vegans have never thought about this.
1: Well, it really also goes to show the little education that a lot of doctors have had in nutrition. And I remember when I first- How much do you think it is? 18 hours, I think. Zero. Zero hours.
0: They they take no nutrition, no prevention medicine education, unless it's uh, offered as like elective or like a seminar. Um, And that's exactly what we are trying to do with Allied Scholars to bring like people like Dr. Clapper, Dr. Milton Mills to medical schools. We work with PCRM Physicians uh, Committee for Responsible Medicine, things like that. But yeah, sorry.
2: I would just add one more thing. So imagine you're marketing animal flesh products, so chicken, beef, turkey. The only, one of the few nutritional things that those products have is basically protein, right? You can't say, hey, this will prevent heart disease. Hey, it's uh, like fiber. It's going to clean your insides, right? The only thing you have to go with is protein, right? Which is why you market it so aggressively on protein because you can be challenged or you have nothing really to go on with anything else.
1: Right. It's like, oh, here's a load of saturated fat and cholesterol for you. Here's (laughs) parasites. Here's, you know, a freaking pandemic.
0: Yeah, Yeah, with milk, like there is so much emphasis on like calcium and... um... And protein. I'm like, yeah, you know, Coke has potassium. It's like drinking, uh, you know, milk to get calcium is like drinking soda to get potassium. Does it have potassium? Yes. Is it the best source of getting your potassium? Probably
1: not. No. And dairy is actually very acidic. So it leaches calcium from your bones. And there's a study that shows that groups that consume the most amount of calcium actually have the highest rates of osteoporosis, which is bone fractures which is crazy to think. I'll never forget when I was first trying to go vegetarian. I was around 13, 14. I, I saw a livestock truck on the highway. I was kind of disturbed by it. And I just remember thinking to myself, I want to dabble in vegetarian, whatever whatever that is. I, I I didn't even know another vegetarian really at the time. This is 10 years ago. And I went to my doctor, my pediatrician for a checkup, and I might've been vegetarian for six months. And she goes, where are you getting your folic acid? Where are you getting your B12? I'm like 13, 14, I'm like, I don't know. She told me that when I was gonna have a baby in the future that my baby would come out without a spinal cord and without a brain fun- that functioned properly. And of course, as a young child, as a teenager, I'm like, that freaked me out. You can only imagine. There's literally millions of You should, re- you should, you should of report millions. out to
2: the licensing board for malpractice.
1: <laughs> So wait, I go back 10 years later, and I said, hey, Dr. Sue, like, I'm vegan now. And she actually, I don't know if she had looked further into the issue or what, but she is pescatarian now, which is a step in the right direction. But But still fuck fish. Still fuck that, yeah, Yeah. fuck fish. (laughs) So I I talked to her about fish and how fish is, I mean, not only horrible for the animals, you're killing the most amount of individuals in the fishing industry, but how terrible it is for your health. It's one of those things where it's, people are like, oh, well, I'll just eat chicken because chicken is better than beef. No, it's not that it's better than beef. It, it's just harming you in other ways. It's like, would you rather a bullet to the head or would you rather be hung from the ceiling? Pick and choose. It's like a game of Russian roulette. Every single pu- animal product that you buy, you're literally playing Russian roulette. You're saying, oh, well, I might get salmonella poisoning today. Oh, I might get a parasite from this today. It's like, why not just eliminate these horrible things that can happen to you
0: yeah the carcinogenic compound in uh, meat is actually from the heme iron um, in meat um, but that you can actually find it in also chicken and also uh, fish so they all have that they all have uh, loads of cholesterol and i just want to say this fun fact because it's so annoying when when people talk about like bioavailability of iron heme iron it is true that heme iron gets absorbed faster. It has a higher bioavailability. What they don't tell you is that when you actually cook meat, heme iron actually goes down. You lose over like uh, almost like 65% of heme iron actually precipitates, becomes unavailable. Non-heme iron, the version that you have in plants, is actually uh, when, when you heat it up, nothing happens. And then you have phytates, which they call it anti-nutrients. Oh, plants have so many phytates. It's just like blocks like iron. Well, it turns out if you actually soak beans or heat or process uh, plants by just like either processing in like beyond or whatever, or just soaking beans or cooking, you release phytates and iron from non-heme sources actually becomes more bioavailable. Mm -hmm. And that's something that people don't tell you. And the fact that in Australia and the UK, literally only 20% of iron is actually from the meat that people eat so the majority of it is already from like fortified foods like cereals and vegetables and it's crazy when you read that and then you talk to people about veganism iron proteins b12 it's like god damn
1: it oh god well how about this i was iron deficient before i went vegan. exactly and now my iron levels are totally fine in fact i get my blood work done every year it's and- actually
0: one of the biggest yeah largest uh deficiencies in the world, so it's not even unique to, to vegans.
1: Yeah, I mean, and B12 is one of those things where, you know, people should take a supplement because our farming practices are different. B12 is a bacteria that comes from the ground. And when you wash your vegetables... Made by a bacteria. Made by a bacteria from the ground. And when you wash your vegetables, you're not getting as much B12 as you may have gotten 500 years ago. So, you know, just get your blood work done, see what nutrients or vitamins that you may need and kind of go off of that. You know, what's really weird that I've heard is that people now have this new concept where they, they say that certain plants i guess it might be the phytates or it's something where they release uh something where they're trying to protect themselves free radicals maybe or i don't know what it is is to
0: to defend themselves but i guess it's just so ridiculous if if it's so bad then there are so many mammals and just like look at our closest ancestors like uh uh, uh, evolutionary uh, relatives right so other primates for instance they eat uh, primarily not to say that we are identical in our anatomy we are not but you know and they say yeah these are chemicals uh, the plants released to defend themselves. Have you tried to catch an animal? Tell me how uh, how like uh, I don't know a chicken or like a cow will defend themselves when you're trying to stab them. Uh, it's just such a such a nonsense and we know like millions of uh, Indians like have been born and raised, vegetarian for their entire life and none of them is dying from plant toxicity of i don't know beans and stuff
2: yeah we soak our beans in india for a long time like if you don't soak your beans they look at you like you're stupid
1: (laughs) soak your beans soak your beans (laughs) that's a take-home
0: message from this podcast
1: So what is it like back in India? What is the vegan scene like? So we got a lot of vegetarians, but I feel like there is a little bit of a resistance to the dairy there.
2: There's a lot of resistance. So India is the number one uh, dairy consumer in the world, right? And I think part of it is that people have a misplaced notion that in their religious scriptures, there was need to have milk, right? So maybe... Two thousand years ago, milk was very scarce because you didn't have you didn't have factory farms. You had maybe a little milk left over after the calf was finished suckling, right? And you'd use those in rituals. Today, it's become this ostentatious display where you're throwing thousands of gallons of milk on religious deities. And at least the original intent was that this is something valuable to you, so you give it up in sacrifice of something bigger, right? Today, milk is not that scarce and. People give it away because they don't want to really give away the more valuable things, right? So in many ways, it's just uh, unfortunate that people interpret the scriptures according to how they want, and they use that as a justification for cheese and butter and yogurt and things like that.
1: So I have a few people that comment on my social media saying, I'm from India and we have a cow in our village and the cow is allowed to have the baby and we just take whatever excess milk comes out of that cow. How would you respond to something like that?
2: So I don't know who your friend is, but I'm pretty sure they're not uh, going with their cup and getting the excess milk. They probably live in a city or village and they're probably buying amul or mother dairy, which are two of the largest milk barons. Or they have some guy coming with a big container of milk. The way it works there is the same way that cows don't produce milk. They're artificially impregnated. Someone sticks their hand inside her and releases semen. Then they steal her baby, the baby. The calf is sold, this is in India as well, and it's exported for its veal. So remember if you're vegetarian and you say you don't eat beef but you drink milk, you're contributing to beef production. And then they make the cow go through that same cycle again and again. So it's not how it was 2,000 years ago. So flat off, unless your friend actually has a cow in her apartment, and Indian apartments are very tiny, or she's living in the village, which I don't think she is, uh, it's very unlikely that they're getting the residual milk from a calf.
1: But even still, I feel like we need to move away from this idea that animals are here for us. Right they are not here for us. They are here with us. And I feel like, okay, if you're in a survival situation and you need these products to live and you don't, you need to consume these products for just to stay alive. Okay. Like I'm not here to talk to people in food deserts or people that really might be struggling. Maybe now is not the time for you to go vegan. I I have to understand that aspect of it. But I think that the more we continue to say, "Oh, just because chickens lay eggs, I can take them," the more we're perpetuating right. this idea yeah. that that we should keep exploiting animals. Yeah,
2: animals are not us; are not there for us to use. And I would ask your friend too that if they eat cheese or yogurt or chocolate, yeah. it's likely not being made from the residual milk from the cow. Yeah. So. To a very large extent, this is just given as an excuse. It's something that's perpetuated in Indian culture that we care about cows, right? But no one hurts the cow and harms the cow more than Indians today.
1: And they ship the baby cows to where?
2: They either slaughter them in the, some states in India where it's okay to slaughter them, it's legal to slaughter them, or they will export them to be killed. India is also the largest exporter of uh, leather, which comes from dead cows. It's also the largest exporter of meat, which comes from dead cows and dead buffaloes. So the notion that Indians care about cows is just a figment of their imagination to make them feel good about themselves. No one abuses cows more than Indians today.
1: Mm. And that's coming from you, not from me. Yeah. I'm just making that clear. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of people that will use very far-fetched excuses to continue justifying their own behavior to make themselves feel better about it. And I I often run into people that will say, oh, I'm a hunter. I just hunt my meat. And I'm like, well, where did you have dinner last night? Oh, KFC. It's like, you're, you're not... You're completely unaligned with what you're saying. You're not even following that train of thought. So back to some of these comments that we get. I know you wanted to say something.
0: Else. Yeah, uh, this is something that we really train activists to be aware of and just like vegans in general, because when we talk to others, they literally always talk about these hypotheticals and don't exist. And I always say, if you are on the Internet arguing about veganism, you have the means to be vegan, right? Um and especially we were both uh, we both live in Texas, so we get a lot of like, oh yeah, I hunt all of my foods. And I was like, bro, first of all, what about dairy and egg, right? Done that. That just killed that argument already. And then, do you st- are you telling me you're literally living in the middle of like Austin, Texas? Where are you hunting, right? And
1: so hunting just is not good. No, not that.
0: That even just makes <laughs> it makes it right. Are you really eating but, deer three sixty five days of the year?
1: you're telling. You're saying that you shoot animals in the head and you're acting like that's something to be commended for. Yeah. are you kidding me?
0: But also, I wanted to add because a lot of people say, okay, fine. What what about this chicken and um, you know backyard chickens? First of all. Uh, you know, we already agree that animals are not here for us to abuse. So, but on top of that, none of that actually prevents pandemics. So, if you actually go to CDC website and look at the bird flu that is going on and killed sixty million chickens so far from last year to this year, uh, you see that it says locally raised and uh, factory farm. So both. So every time we have a little animal products, we become more and more responsible for the next pandemics and killing people. Um, and to that, I also want to add that every single time we have a little animal products, we are normalizing consumption of animal products. So other people don't even know where this, maybe maybe this is like, a I don't know, some hypothetical milk that never bothered any animal. But like other people don't know that, right? Um, that's where I ac- actually disagree with uh, Peter Singer because he says like if you're on a plane and the only thing that they give you is like non-vegan food, it's okay to eat that. Um, And I I get where he's coming from. He's saying that whether you eat this or not, no animal is going to come back to life or not, right? So I get that logic. But what's missing here is that every time we eat this, we are contributing to normalizing animal products. And every single time we do that, every single time we don't reject animal products, that was an opportunity to educate others. I once asked Twitter, I said, what made you vegan? And this uh, person said, oh yeah, I went on a uh, dinner with colleagues and one of my colleagues refused to eat whatever and just she just got salads. And then she asked why, and then they talked about veganism. Now she is vegan and she has raised her entire family vegan only because of that. Now if that person was you know, so-called reducetarian or flexitarian, whatever that means, you know, if they don't have vegan options, they would just eat whatever, right? Here you go. That's that's a lost opportunity to educate others.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I don't find it hard. I mean, it's really it's a stand against oppression. It's like, would you eat the dog meat if it were on that airplane because that was the only thing to eat? No, you you wouldn't. Exactly. So, it why does that make it any different if it's a pig piece of meat, cow? fish, it's not any different. These are all individuals that wanted to live, that had every right to live and be here and exist like we do. And uh, I, I don't think, I think you said this in the beginning, it's like we don't have to necessarily be obsessed with animals and love them and see them as we see humans. You just have to recognize that we shouldn't hurt them and that they have a right to be here and live and and that's it and that's really what veganism is
2: and we should also see that consuming animal flesh to kill someone else that didn't want to die just to satisfy taste pleasures is just abhorrent and wrong and there's no two ways about that it's a mark of an unloving person to put their pleasure over someone else's life yeah
1: and you know I, i i sometimes i wonder and i'm like is the world just selfish? Are human beings innately selfish? Or can we really change people? Like, what was it? We're, we're all different people. We come from all different backgrounds. But we came to the same conclusion that veganism is moral and ethical. Of
2: course people right. change, right? Otherwise, why would be why would we be in this, right? Everyone has the spark of humanity. Everyone has that spark of compassion, right? But as you go through life and conditioning, you harden up. Why are children so are fascinated by animals and why do they play with animals. And as uh, the illustration goes, that if you leave a three-year-old with an apple and a chicken, what is she going to run after? And what's she going to eat, right? So it's something that's learned. We know that for sure because we know that forcing children to eat meat takes a little effort. It doesn't come very naturally to them as well.
1: It's the first form of oppression that's taught. And I really do believe that if we taught our children to be kind to all living beings that we would see a very different world because surely if the child could respect a little ladybug on her fingers, she can certainly look at another human being and say, you know, I want to be kind to this person. Yeah,
2: it's all an act of separation. The animal's different from me. The man's different from me. The woman's different from me. So to answer your question, can you change people? Of course you can, but it will take different tactics. It It takes... for some people, it can be speaking in a calm voice. For some people, it can be speaking in a more assertive voice. It can be being angry. It can be ignoring them. You use whatever tactics you have to get the message across, right? But everyone has got that spark. And just like you light a fire, sometimes you need friction to light the fire, right? And that's our role, to provide that friction. Ideally, we light the fire without the friction. But if you need it, you use it, right?
1: All forms of activism are necessary and needed. I was actually just talking to my friend about this on the way here. She was like, why do you think disruptions are are good? Like, don't you think people just get mad with that? And I said, disruptions can be extremely effective, especially when targeting corporations, especially when tackling fur and other issues. It really gets back to headquarters and creates impact and creates change and gets people thinking. But mainly it's like, how would you want somebody speaking up for you? If you were dead on the supermarket shelves, I would want somebody screaming on the rooftop to be like, this is wrong. This is really messed up. So I really think we need to try every different form of activism from education to AV cubes, to speeches, to film, to art, and really just targeting whatever it is that somebody has within them and what can be sustainable. Because for a while I felt like I lost myself. Like I was going to slaughterhouses every week. I was really sad. I was depressed. It was like the first thing I thought about when I woke up, the last thing I thought about before I went to bed and I wasn't me anymore. And uh, I I had to somehow reel that back in and say, okay, how can I make this sustainable so that I'm here in the long run and so that I don't burn out? And that's when I started my Jamie's Corner YouTube show (laughs) and started the podcast and started doing more film. I'm like, how can I amplify this message and reach people? And that's how this was born.
2: I love it. Love that you did it. And again, I think this is a great lesson that you don't have to you use what's given to you, right? So we're at war and you use the skills that are given to you. Some people are good at accounting. Some people are good at lowering, Some people are great with TV and media.
0: Some people I hear are here good with proteins. You just <laughs> use whatever you have. But yeah, if there's like really one take home message here is like not being worried about like necessarily offending people or like people say that the sign of how effective your outreach is, is like looking at... If, if people are getting upset, but that's not how we look at it. I mean, I'm here today because one of my friends literally just came to me and said, as you say you love animals, but you eat them too, right? And I was like, ouch, I was upset with her, but she was right. And I changed, and all the activism I do today is because of that. And same, same with, you know, a lot of other activists. Mm-hmm. Um, so just because the fact that someone gets upset doesn't mean that we should go necessarily yell at them or just be mean, but we should be compassionate. But at the same time, we should not compromise for animals. I love what you said. We should fight for them the same way we want someone else to fight for us if we are in the position of victims.
1: Yeah, and I'm sorry, but by me saying a few sentences to somebody isn't going to be the major reason <laughs> yeah. I'm not going vegan. Are you kidding me? Like, you're not going to go vegan because I called you an animal abuser? Seriously? Yeah. Come on. Sometimes people about. need
2: to see that reflection. And one thing I just want to add to this conversation and activism is that just know that if you're vegan or Forget vegan. If you believe in something, but you're not speaking up about that, that's a choice you're making, and that's a conscious choice. So Just know that you're doing that consciously, that if I believe that I shouldn't be killing animals, but I refuse to talk about it, ask yourself, why. I'm, is this something I'm doing consciously? And am I comfortable holding the belief in my personal life but refusing to talk about it anywhere else? So it's very, it's very easy to see when someone acts and to say, hey, someone's taken action. But equally, the choice to not act is also a choice. So just know that that's a choice you've made. Mm-hmm.
1: So what is next for Ally Scholars for Animal Protection? What do you think is next for the vegan movement? I want to go 5, 10, 15 years from now.
0: So our goal is to have uh, ASAP chapters in all universities in the U.S. So whatever university you're going to, you know that there is a hub for you to get the support and get the training and uh, use these resources to become a loud advocate and then be trained to use your career for animal advocacy long term. So what our vision is that if we are successful and when we are successful, These people then go become people like Eric Adams, like uh, Cory Booker, uh, like Dr. Kim Kim Williams, very impactful people who then believe in veganism so much that they're going to change the system. If you think about it, like our basically model is uh, Federalist Society. Um, You know, uh, it started from basically a student organization, but they're so effective. Today, um, uh, six out of uh, nine Supreme Justices are... Uh, affiliated with federalist society. So that's what we want.
1: And that's the Christian groups on it, campus.
0: It's like a conservative uh, group. It's not a Christian group. It's yeah, it's conservative um, group associated with law uh, law schools. So it's not to say that we agree or disagree with what they do, but they are effective in what they do. And you mentioned Christianity. In all universities, every time you go there, Christians are are out there talking about something that they're passionate about. Now I'm not religious, but I really admire how seriously they take it. And if they take it so seriously, here we have trillions of animals dying every year. What what are we doing? If we are not on campus talking about it, educating others, bringing everyone in. So our long-term vision is that we can with ASAP we can help the movement by influencing people in the position of power.
1: So to have a group on campus, every campus you're at, every university advocating for animals. I
0: always say I'm a scientist, but you can replace me um, in in science. You can just train another PhD, right? But not everyone becomes me because not everyone will have that fire. So my goal is to produce more people who go back, do their PhDs or doctorates or become lawyers with that fire, with that vision in mind that now I'm going to learn and use everything I know to advance the movement.
2: Yeah. So since you brought up the movement, one thing I'd encourage everyone to take seriously is that this is literally a war. We are fighting against a very well-funded set of opponents with billions, maybe even trillions of dollars in terms of revenue they get from their product. Uh, They have vast resources at their disposal in terms of marketing. You can't turn your head 180 degrees without seeing an advertisement for animal flesh or secretion. So please take this very seriously and know that it's a fight. That doesn't mean uh, the big guy always wins, right? You have David and Goliath. History is replete with examples. Even the founding of the United States was in some ways a shock because you have the world's uh, premier power, the United Kingdom, facing off against a ragged band of people who didn't want to be ruled by them, right? Right so it doesn't necessarily mean that we will lose but what will what i can guarantee is that if we don't fight we will lose and what i mean by it is that it's very fashionable these days to say, oh, I shouldn't judge, but that's just nonsense, right? Everything we do in some levels is a judgment. What shirt I wear today? What do I choose to eat? Do I want water or juice? Which college am I going to do? Oh, what am I going to name my children, right? Everything we do is a judgment. And people who say don't judge don't really understand how the human mind works because it's designed to judge. The What I want to point out is that choose rightly or judge rightly. So... Of course you should judge, but make the decision, use discretion and judge rightly. And when you know that something is wrong, you should be very vocal about it. You should not hide behind, I'm not gonna judge.
1: And we're absolutely gonna win because no injustice can last forever and we're moving into a time where technology is advancing. We have lab grown meat coming into existence. Cultivated meat. Cultivated meat is a better way of putting it, coming into existence and I really do think that it's one of those things where if we do lose, the planet dies and we all die. So that doesn't really sound great to me. So why not just all move towards a more sustainable?
2: And you're right. The stakes are high that if we lose this, I think we had the closest we've ever been to destruction, right? And a lot of it is coming from the way humans consume. Humans consume animals, humans consume natural resources, and until we fixed this deep sense of unfulfillment that gets humans consuming, I think we're doomed as a species. And from nature's perspective, the moon shone when there were dinosaurs, the moon will still shine when there are no humans. So
0: no one's really rooting for us unless we root for ourselves as a species. But I also want to say that we don't necessarily need the entire world to become vegan to, to win, right? If you look at like, not the entire US was anti-slavery, Um, We literally went to war like that's how much the other side resisted. But we went to war and we won. Right. The entire population wasn't, um, unfortunately, gay for uh, for LGBT rights, for gay marriage to become. That would have been wonderful. Right. (laughs) I'm (laughs) (laughs) Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. But it was a minority that, uh, you know, had the fire, had the passion and fought for it. So we don't necessarily need the entire population. We just need a group of dedicated people who understand this urgency.
1: Mm-hmm. And even if the world doesn't go vegan, it's one of those things where they'll still be able to consume cultivated meat, cultivated milk, and still enjoy all the same products, except instead of slaughtering an entire exactly living right. animal, you just grow a chicken wing. Yeah. Okay, so we'll, we'll move towards that for sure. I think that is the future. And also we have amazing plant-based options too. So I guess, where can people connect with you? What's the best way to reach both of you? Pimp yourselves out. Uh,
0: I'm generally very easy to connect with, but the best way is alliedscholars.org. That's our website. Uh, but people can connect uh, with me on Twitter, which is just Dr. Harcini, uh, Dr. Faraz Uh But in general, if people Google me, it's really not that hard to connect with me. Um, and I'm always there to help fellow activists, fellow Um, you know, students, literally anyone who wants to take a step to make this world a better place, if there is anything I or Allied Scholars can do, we are there for them.
1: And you guys know the drill. I am at It's Jamie Logan, uh, also It's Jamie's Corner. You can listen to the podcast on, on whatever streaming services, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM. Where else can you listen to it? Google Play. Wherever. I'm really bad at marketing this. I really need to get better.
0: <laughs> but I have to say, when I uh, watched your first video uh, uh, from AV, it was just so fun and you were just like not shying away. Yeah. At the same time, you had that smile on your face. I was like, how is this happening? She's saying the most serious things. She's not compromising for animals, yet she has this like big smile and just like laughing about it. It was the best combination. I was like, that level of seriousness and passion is like really what I want um, uh, to see in more people.
1: Yeah, well, it's like step into my office, draw yeah. them, a
0: smile
1: <laughs> and then hit them where it hurts. Go check out Allied Scholars for Animal Protection and check out the podcast, rate, review, like, subscribe, whatever. Really appreciate both of you coming on the podcast, spending time with me. We had dinner the other night, which was absolutely amazing. Amazing. So it's really an honor to know both of you and to fight this this fight with you. Same. Likewise. Thanks for having us. And
2: I love your passion and just how I was really shocked, actually, to see how vocal and how passionate you were, because I haven't found a lot of activists uh, like you and especially women activists. So I love that you're a great model for all of them.
1: Thank you, and thank you right back, right back at you guys. We all thank have you. our role in this movement, and um, I'm honored to fight alongside. Us. Thank you, and thanks for listening, guys. Until next time, okay. bye.